People are very quick to put titles and names on others. And so we could be described by a label which refers to our status financially. And there are those who be looked upon as rich people. And then there's others and they may be looked upon or considered as being those under the poverty line. There are labels which refer to the place where we worship. Oh, they're a Presbyterian. Or he's a Methodist. Or worse still, you could even be called a free Presbyterian. There are other categories, of course, which people are placed in. Protestant, Catholic, white or black, northerner or southerner. And so we could go on. And men and women, it's not just something that is happening or happens in our wee province, but it is worldwide. You go to the United States of America, you're either of the southern states or the northern states. And that division or that category has been derived from the American Civil War. In Israel, you're either a Jew or an Arab. And that goes back even further to the very time of Abraham. And in this church in Corinth, Paul was to hear of those who were starting to divide themselves into little groups in the church. And the church was starting to become more segregated as time went on. You see, there were those who said, I am of Paul. But there were others and they said, I am of Apollos. And still others affiliated themselves with Cephas or Peter. What made them think along those lines? Well, it could have been that some of them were saved under Paul's ministry. Well, for others, they enjoyed the teaching and the preaching of Apollos better. He seemed to be a stronger man physically. And still there were others. And Paul was their preacher. Or, or I should say Peter was the preacher that they latched on to. And there, therefore there were these different little groups. But when Paul heard of these divisions or these differences, which were in danger of forming and causing harm, he brought before them the Savior. The Lord wasn't divided. And what's more, his argument was that the Lord had sent him to preach the gospel. And men and women, every true preacher of the word can identify and can say that likewise what we have just said. The Lord has sent his messengers forth to bring the tidings of good news unto the hearts of needy men and women and young people. And tonight, I'm not really interested in where you are financially. I'm not really interested in where your affiliations may lie in terms of the other things in this world. But there's one thing that I am interested in. And that is, how do you stand in relation to Christ? In what category are you found? When it comes to the words of my text in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish Foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Why am I interested in the category? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. I want you to note here the only gospel. You see, there are many who will try and tell us today there are many ways in which we can get to heaven. There are even some men in pulpits who foolishly imply and uh, teach and suggest that there are various ways in which a man or woman can be saved through one dispensation or another. 
Well, my friend, according to this verse of Scripture and other verses right throughout the Word of God to which we could turn this evening, there's only one gospel. And there's only one way to heaven itself. And you might ask tonight, what is the gospel? It's summed up in my text. It's the preaching of the cross. You'll notice the opening uh, part of the word, actually, of the opening of our text tonight. It joins to the previous verse in verse 17. Let me read it. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, for or because the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. There's a little link there. And no wonder when we read those words that Paul is speaking in verse 17 about the reason why he had been sent of God to Corinth. What was he sent there to do? He hadn't been sent to baptize. He could maybe mention on his one hand those that he baptized, but he was sent to preach the gospel. And there's an inseparable link between those words and the words about the cross of Christ. He was speaking about the one and the same thing, for the preaching of the cross is to preach the gospel. There are plenty today and their messages do not contain anything about the cross of Calvary. And the same must also have been in the times of the apostles. Isn't that what is implied here, even in these words? These people were been told. There was no reason why they should be in their different groups because each of them had been saved under the same message. Each of them had preachers that had preached the cross of Christ to them, to the salvation of their precious souls. You know, we read of those in Galatians who sought to deceive the people by bringing them to another message. And Paul, he is quick even to put an end to that. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 1, you will see it for yourself. Paul is quick to point it out what they were at. He's quick to tell them it wasn't another gospel because there isn't any other gospel. Look at the words of verse 6 of the first chapter. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man, you'll notice man is in italics in the authorized version. You could put in there, if any angel, if any demon, if any man, preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. How did he receive the message that he preached to the Galatians? Look at verse 12. He says, for ye have heard of my conversation. Uh, and, and let me back up to verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And he goes back to his old uh, days there. But you'll notice how he received the message. 
He didn't receive the message because it was passed down to him by another man. He didn't receive the message because he went to some school or some college, but rather he received the message because it was that which had been personally revealed to him by the Lord. Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus had been revealed to Saul of Tarsus personally. And he was saved by the grace of God and he was called to go and to preach Christ among the heathen. There is only one gospel, men and women, and that is the cross. And to further impress that upon our hearts, it is interesting to realize that the word that is used for preaching in this instance, in verse 18, is the same word as we find in John 1 verse 1. John 1 and 1 may be very familiar to you. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The word for preaching in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1 is logos. It's the word for word. That's why I've entitled my message tonight, Preaching the Word. What's the only gospel? It's the uplifting of the one who's known as the Word. The incarnate word. The one who dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That glory as of, as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. As John goes on to write in that first chapter. The one who in total obedience laid down his life on that rugged tree. The preaching of the gospel must comprise the person of Christ. For he is the center. And he is the very core of the message which is able to bring a darkened sinner out of the bondage of sin and into the glorious light of God's eternal truth. No other message can do that. It's the man of Calvary. It's the Christ of the cross that we seek to bring before men and women and young people. For he alone is able to set the sinner free. He alone is able to give light to the darkened soul. He alone is able to give life to the spiritual dead. And the vehicle that God uses to present the good news is preaching. Look at verse 21 of this chapter. He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, not foolish preaching. That's different altogether. But by the foolishness of preaching, that's the vehicle. And Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness for those 120 years, warning men and women of the coming wrath and judgment of God upon the world. Jeremiah was set apart by God even from his mother's womb and God put his word in his mouth when he went forth to preach to the people. John the Baptist was a forerunner. He was a preacher of repentance and faith. That's the vehicle that God uses to bring the good news, the gospel to the hearts of men and women. I want you with reverence to ascend the hill Golgotha tonight and to see him who has kneeled there on that middle tree. I want you to hear the prayer of anguish from the Redeemer's heart. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, that prayer was answered. 
as one of the thieves on the other cross was to repent and look by faith to Christ for salvation and an answer the Lord was to say to him today thou shalt be with me in paradise he was on the very cusp of going to lost eternity and yet he looked to Christ by faith and he was born again and assured of being in heaven hear that cry from those parched lips I thirst those lips from which flows rivers of living water, from which a sinner like you and I shall never thirst again. Hear that victory cry. It is finished. Three words in the English, just one in the Greek. Forsaken by friend and by the Father, the Savior endured the cross. And now it is completed. The price has been paid for man to be saved. He drank the last drop of the wrath of God for us. A completed work. A satisfactory work. How do we know? Because the third day he rose again from the grave. Oh, men and women, tonight the Christ of Calvary is not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. But he is arisen from the dead. He is an exalted, glorious Savior at the Father's right hand, and because he lives, then you can live also. What a message that we have to preach to men and women. What a Savior that we seek to uplift before you this evening. You see, there's only one message of the gospel. Now tell me, do you know the gospel? Do you know the Christ, the Savior, who is the good news? Do you know that He loves sinners? Do you know that He died for sinners like you? Do you possess Christ as your Savior? For that is your need tonight. If you're in this meeting house without Christ, you need Christ as your Savior. There is not only the only gospel here, I want you to see the perception of the gospel. One message, only one gospel that we present, but you'll notice that there are two ways in which men and women may react to that message. These two perceptions are reflected in this meeting house tonight. You're one or the other. There are those in being presented with Christ and preaching about the Christ of the cross. It's only foolishness. Foolishness. The psalmist could say that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They may have sat under the preaching of the gospel, but in their innermost decision in their heart, literally those words mean, no God for me. No God for me. They may have been warned of the consequences for those who reject the Savior. But alas, they've made that conscious decision. They're going on without God. And the Savior is not for them. They will not have this man to rule over them. I came across a little worn out sign on outreach this week up the town. I didn't really take time to read it all. But it was a message against those who tell us that there's one way to heaven. I don't know who that man was. But he got an invitation through the letterbox anyway. And he needs Christ. That's just a stone's throw from this church. 
A man who feels it enough to put a written type message on his garden gate to anybody that would come near his door. No God for me. You see, they counted as foolishness. This text implies that for many, the message that the faithful preacher delivers is only foolishness to them. Why is that the case? Well, we need to realize the God of this world has his plans. And Paul makes mention of those plans to this very same church in Corinth. Because if you go into the second epistle to Corinthians, he says there that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. The devil knows all about the message of the gospel. The devil knows the potency of the message of the gospel. And thus he will seek to do all in his power to snatch away the life-giving seed from the seedbed of the heart. He's likened to the birds of the air that cometh immediately doesn't want that good precious seed to remain in your heart. And he seeks to blind the minds of unbelievers lest they should embrace the gospel. The devil is man and woman blinded tonight. And thus they think that the message that we bring is only but foolishness. Foolishness. Remember old Naaman? You know, he is like other people today. And they believe that the message of the gospel should be more complicated. You remember how this leper expected Elisha to come. You'll find it in Second Kings chapter 5. And he expected Elisha to come, the prophet of the Lord, and to give him something really difficult to do. People like that today, you know, they can't understand the gospel so simple. Second Kings chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us what the message was. Elisha sent a messenger unto him. He didn't even come himself. Saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought. There's a problem, men and women. There's a problem. He thought. He thought. That he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He thought man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. He thought that he would make a big deal of this. He would come out chanting and moving up and down and the leprosy would be recovered. But he merely asked him to go and dip in the Jordan seven times. Plenty of activity, plenty of a show is a sure mark of false religionism. It was true with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. And it's true here with Naaman as well. Naaman thought he would see such a demonstration. And then he would be healed. You know there's people today and they believe that the gospel message is too simple. They, they, they must be more to it than that preacher. They must believe that there's something else that they have to do. And they just think it's foolishness. To look away by faith to a man who died on that cross and rose again. Because they do not have to put their hand to it, because they do not have to add to it, they believe it's foolishness. I wonder, is that where your perspective is to the message of the cross tonight? 
How I plead with you that you would refrain from trampling underfoot the blessed Son of God and putting him to an open shame. You see, Hebrews 10, 28 reminds us of that. It says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye thought he be, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. There was an aged father one night who pleaded with his wayward son to forsake his evil ways. One night that son was preparing to go out to his sin. His father, after pleading, he went and he stood in the very door of the house. He said, son, I cannot let you go. If you go, it will be over my body. That young man tried to push his father aside. The old man fell. And rushing out, he literally trod over his father to go to his sin. Dear loved one, the cross work of Christ stands before you. It urges you to turn from your sin unto Christ. The cross and the Christ of God whom you consider to be foolishness is a blockade to you on your road to hell. We ask like Jeremiah is, is it nothing to all ye that pass by? And are you going to pay no heed to Christ or to his cross work again tonight? And are you going to walk on in your sin as you leave this meeting house and in doing so trample again underfoot the precious, precious blood of the Savior? But you know, there's another Perception to the gospel. For there are those who in my text come to realize that it's not foolishness, but it is the power of God. The preaching of Christ on the cross is that which can change a sinner. It's that which can convert a sinner. It is that which cleanses a sinner. I look to the cross by faith will reveal there's power there. There's the power of God against sin. It was Christ who was the sin bearer and it was him who took the judgment of God against our sin. He bore it all away. He wore that crown of thorns and those nails. And there was a power of God against Satan to be seen at Calvary. The devil tried his best to get him down from off that tree. Come down and we will believe thee. All hell was let loose at the cross. And our Savior suffered and died there all alone. And there at Calvary the power of God is seen unto salvation. The Savior died that we might be saved. It is because of that once for all sacrifice for sin that you can be saved and made ready for heaven tonight. I tell you, we can sing, truly, there's power in the blood. Oh, it's an old gospel favorite, but what a truth. Power in the blood, it's powerful enough to cleanse the vilest sinner clean. Interesting to note, see the word power in our text? That's where we get the English word dynamite from. And you all know what dynamite is and the power there is behind it. 
There's power in the message of Christ. Have you experienced that power yet? Have you been made whole? Have you been washed in the fountain of blood and made for the sin and for uncleanness? Do you know the power of God unto salvation? Oh, others can testify to the power of God in their lives. I wonder what about you? Will you come tonight? What will the gospel be to you this evening? You may say, preacher, I don't understand your question. You might do if you listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, Paul writing to this very same church, verse 16. He says, to the one we are a savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. What will the gospel be to you this evening? Which one of those? A savor of death unto death. Or a savor of life unto life. I want you to notice the possession to the gospel. I think this brings into sharp focus. There are really only two types of people in this meeting tonight. For those who have considered the preaching of Christ's foolishness. And something which they can put off for another time. You know my text says. They're perishing. Perishing. For others who have experienced that same gospel message in their lives and have known the power of it, we read that they're in a different position altogether. They're saved. For if I read the text, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's no other position that you can be in tonight. You're either perishing or else you're pardoned and saved. But those who have set aside this message and rejected the Christ of God, we know from John's gospel the sinner is already under the condemnation of God. John chapter 3 verse 18 says it. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And the sense of the word in my text bears proof to that. They who perish are those who are lost. You're being destroyed. And my friend, it's a condition that you're in tonight without the Savior. You're lost. Lost. Perishing. The word indicates a failure to be what God wants you to be. And God, what he, what he intends you to be, it pictures a disease of sin running its course through your life unchecked. Oh, we just heard a just heard a little message there this week, a couple of doors down from where that the Bible speak shop is in an Armagh, a man who owned the business just a couple down from us. Just about 12 days ago was diagnosed with cancer. His funeral was on Friday. And it run its course, you see. There is body. And men and women, that's just a picture of sin and the disease of sin running its course through your life unchecked. It indicates an increasing distance from God. It pictures that falling downwards, despite all your efforts to pull yourself upwards. 
You're still going down. You're perishing. I want you to really grasp what that verse is saying tonight. It pictures you, the sinner. One who has heard the message of Christ and the cross preached, but still you will not embrace it. You have not embraced it for your salvation. It says you are perishing. You're heading for that lake of fire from which there's no escape. To those flames where your sin will be eternally punished. It will be a place eternally separated from the mercy of God. And we say, why? Why will you die, my friend, when the Savior has died already? When one has already paid the full cost of your sin. When one has already died that you might be set free. You know, we could re-echo the words of Ezekiel Where we were this morning in our message, but Ezekiel 33 verse 11 sums it up. It says this, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, or why will you die? There's the message of the Lord. Can I illustrate it? A party of seven left to ascend the great Matterhorn mountain in the Alps. How many a time that they had got before onto the shoulder of that great mountain, but they weren't able to get any further to the top. This time, however, they succeeded. And for a time they stood in those dizzy heights looking across and taking in the great Paramic view. They then were to re-rope themselves to descend with great care. They let them down, themselves down over that fearful precipice. And suddenly a cry rang out. As a man fell unto another, bringing him off his foothold. And the next two men were dragged after him. But the experienced climbers at the very rear of that party... They were to stand still. They were to tighten the rope and they were to wait for the shock as one man. That rope rang its run its length. But as it did so, and as the blow came, the rope snapped like a thread. They watched as their friends attempted to stop sliding over the precipice, but to no avail. They fell into the great glacier 4,000 feet below. The rest of that party stood silence. Hardly able to move. Later, many hours later, they arrived back at base to tell what happened. That broken rope was examined. Why had it broke? Why had it not held? They find out why that was so. You see, it wasn't a genuine alpine rope. 
The genuine alpine rope is distinguished by a red strand running right through it. But this rope hadn't got that red thread. And how this substitute rope came to be used is still a mystery. And remains to this day in the Alpine Museum. Men and women, the saving power of Christ, it runs like a red thread right throughout the heart of the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, it is able to save men and women from slipping over the precipice into the lake of fire. But my question tonight is, are you joined to the Savior by that unbreakable, that unfailing cord? For I tell you something, there's no substitute for the powerful saving blood of Christ. There's no substitute for the one gospel of saving grace. It's what you need tonight if you are perishing. But thank God there's another position in my text in which you can enjoy this evening. And that is the opposite to perishing. The opposite to being lost. And that is being saved. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, saved from sins. Saved from the punishment of them being a lost sinner's eternity. Saved from the wrath and condemnation of God abiding upon them. Saved so that you can become more like Christ every day. And one day, join Him in the bliss of God's heaven. Along with saints, along with others who have gone before, saved so that you have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. I want to ask tonight, will you be saved this evening? This verse brings before you your destiny and your eternity. Either you're traveling lost and perishing toward hell, or else you're saved and being saved and traveling to glory. Which is it for you? Wonder, dear sinner, will you respond to the preaching of the word tonight? By repenting of your sin, by accepting the Christ of my text, and by accepting the Christ who is the gospel, what he done for a sinner like you on Calvary's cross. May God help you to come. May the Lord be pleased to write his word even when the preacher's voice is silent on your soul tonight. And you will seek and find him as your Savior. We'll close by singing 102, page 217. Come sinner, behold what Jesus hath done. Behold how he suffered for thee. They crucified him, God's Innocent son forsaken, he died on the tree. We'll sing verses 1, 4, and 5. 1, 4, and 5 of 102. Let's stand as we do so.
thank thee for thy word. We thank the Lord for the gospel of Christ, the cross of Christ. We praise the Lord for the message of redeeming grace, for the offer of mercy that has been extended even yet. Lord, we would ask the question, even at the very climax of this meeting, what will they do with Jesus, who is Christ? O God, what will they do with the one who is the King? We pray, Lord, that thou would give deciding grace even tonight. A man and woman would stop thinking like old Naaman of how they can get the glory. But, Lord, that they would repent. They would, Lord, come by the way of the cross and accept Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Speak on, I pray, when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy blessing for those who will make their way home. Bless, Lord, others that will remain for a little time. And, O God, be be pleased to be glorified and exalted far above all tonight. We ask these things in our Saviour's precious name. Amen.